1: Free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homeshef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
2: Might one of BYU's chief weaknesses in the 2022 season have become a surprising strength coming out of spring ball. We'll talk about that and also some rule changes on the way to college football games as we know them coming up in 2023. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you making it a part of your routine whenever you watch and or listen to it. Thank you for the support, as always. We are your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Cannot thank you guys enough for making the time to join us here. All right, diving right in on today's show. We've been going position group by position group, looking back at what I thought of each position group going into spring ball versus what I think now after a month plus of BYU spring practices. We talked about the offensive line yesterday, bolstered obviously by the addition of Jake Acorn uh, out of Beaver High School and Weaver State. Makes the offensive line for BYU maybe their most formidable position just top to bottom talent-wise of any on BYU's roster. I'm really, really impressed by what they have done to bolster that offensive front because I think it truly goes 10 deep now uh, in terms of guys that could be starting caliber offensive linemen. Well, we're going to flip to the other side of the trench and talk about the defensive line for BYU. Now, uh, many of you, I think, would concur with my assessment that the defensive line a year ago was maybe BYU's chief weakness amongst the entirety of their defense. The inability to get pressure on the quarterback, the inability to really set the edge in the run game at times. There were so many weaknesses for BYU along the defensive front that I thought that Jay Hill would come in and essentially gut that defensive uh, line position group, obviously tear it down, send guys on their way via the transfer portal, uh, go out to the portal and try and bring guys in. And, yes, they did lose some guys. Obviously, we talked yesterday about Brooks Miley and Mac Aloisio announcing that they are going to go into the NCAA transfer portal. They also added guys via the transfer portal, Isaiah Banya and Jackson Cravens, chief among them. But there were a ton of holdovers for BYU along the defensive front. And I got to say, considering what I expected from BYU's defensive line going into spring ball versus what they showed throughout the entirety of a spring camp, I am thoroughly impressed at what a new coach, a new philosophy, and just kind of a new energy being injected into each one of these players has yielded so far for BYU. Now, I take this all with a grain of salt, obviously, because this is a spring period where guys are trying out new positions, new schemes are being implemented. BYU is going up against each other every single day in practice, so you're going to learn tendencies of what the offense likes to do in certain downs and distances that may give you a little bit of an advantage, both as an offensive and a defensive player, but I am still intrigued by what I saw from BYU's defensive line. Are they going to be world beaters? They're going to go out there and have multi-double-digit sack artists this year for BYU? No, I don't anticipate that. I think it's going to take some time for BYU truly to get to the level that they want to be as a defensive unit, particularly along the defensive front. I know that Jay Hill would love nothing more than, I think, a bare minimum this year to show that he has a defensive line capable of getting pressure on an opposing quarterback with a four-man rush. That's all that I think he really cares about, is having the ability to have the back end of his defense not have to worry about helping out the front end if, it, if that makes sense, help out the defensive line by getting pressure on the quarterback. Yes, there will, there will be times is going to b- bring blitzes. They have brought blitzes from every seemingly part of the field that you can imagine during this spring ball period, but they mostly want this defensive line to be self-sufficient, meaning they want them to be able to hold up in the run game, uh, plug their gaps when necessary and run downs, and then also when it comes to passing... It, downs, to be able to get after the quarterback and make them uncomfortable, if not outright sack them, strip sack, uh, forcing the guy out of the pocket, just make plays. That's what they want from this defensive line. And that's one thing I will give the defensive line is they got the better of BYU's offensive line multiple times during the media observation windows that we had as a media core down there in Provo, but also in talking with people around the BYU football program during the midst of all this. They talked time and time again about how good the defensive line had been. They were disruptive. They were making plays all over the field. So, uh, like I said, I, I'm, in, I'm in, as in I, – I'm going to say this. I'm as – intrigued, surprised, whatever you want to describe it as, as anybody with regards to my thoughts on this defensive front. Now, guys that stood out during spring ball, there was a number of them, I thought, along the defensive line. Number one, Isaiah Banya. I, we had him on this podcast, talked with him one-on-one. Very impressive young man. Very familiar with BYU growing up in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. Obviously understands what BYU is all about. I think he's going to make an impact. He probably comes in, it's kind of that uh, two-point stand-up edge rusher for BYU, but if he's able to capitalize on his God-given Talents. I think he's got the capability of being BYU's potential leading sack artist. Now, opposite him is going to be more of a traditional defensive end, and that's Tyler Batty. Jay Hill highlighted him in his, I guess we call it, uh, spring camp uh, ending uh, media session, saying that Tyler Batty had a very, very good fall camp. And that should be positive news to hear as a Cougar fan. All of us, yours truly included, have been waiting to see Tyler Batty truly uh, capitalize on what his skill set is, and that is getting after the quarterback and being that defensive end. Six foot five, 250, 260 pounds. He's like the prototype for a defensive end. Can he capitalize on his ability? They actually list him at 6'5", 273 here on BYU's roster. He is the prototype for defensive end. If he can get after the quarterback, hold up in the run game, he could be a linchpin to helping BYU have a pretty successful year along the defensive front. Now, there are other guys who had their moments uh, during spring ball. I'd also have to give a shout-out to Newt Latao-Sellison, a transfer from Weber State, a walk-on with BYU. He was with the second and third string units, but time and time again during the media portions, he was making plays in the backfield. He's not the prototype defensive end, 6'1", 247, but like I said, he was making plays, and he was pretty impressive. I'm intrigued by Isaiah Moa. Ice, obviously, has been a guy who BYU fans have kind of hoped would break out. He showed some things during uh, spring ball, as well that intrigued me. I think he's got the capability of being a fantastic player for the Cougars if all goes according to plan. And then on the interior of the defensive line, I got to give a shout out to Atunaisa Mahé. I talked earlier about how I thought a lot of the holdovers from this defensive line, I just was not impressed. I thought they would have to be essentially tear it down uh, to build it back up. But guys like Atunaisa Mahé seem to have been unlocked by this new defensive philosophy. I don't know how to describe it other than this dude was making play after play in this new defense for BYU. Was it a scheme thing a year ago? Was it just that he wasn't motivated? We had Connor Pay tell Jay Drew that he felt like multiple players quit on BYU or quit uh, mid-season last year after some of the losses, most notably to Oregon. That's That's a pretty damning statement to have coming from an offensive lineman, but Connor's never been one who's afraid to speak his mind, so I appreciate him speaking out on that. So we'll see what happens. But guys like Atunai Samahe, if he can get unlocked and be a better player than he ever has been in a BYU uniform and maybe his final season as a Cougar, that's awesome to see. Jackson Cravens was nothing if not spectacular for BYU, I thought, during spring ball. Really showed why they picked him up out of Boise State. He's a veteran, nice big body who understands – how to use leverage to his advantage, has played a lot of college football. Very intrigued by what he's going to be able to show. I also want to see what John Nelson's capable of showing. The list at 6'4", two, 275 now. He'll be playing defensive tackle for BYU after having played defensive end a year ago. I thought John was maybe the best single defensive lineman BYU uh, in terms of production a year ago. Now as he slots inside, can he be more of a pass rush threat for BYU's interior of the de- defensive line? That's one thing that's been severely lacking is BYU's kind of relied on when they've gotten pressure to come off the edge. Can you generate some pass rush up the Middle with Naisa Mahe or a Josh Larson, not Josh Josh Larson's another guy we should probably talk about back from a knee injury. But talking about John Nelson, excuse me, can he generate some of that pass rush up the middle? That'd be a huge, huge thing for BYU to add to the defensive arsenal. So, uh, like I said, I thought this defensive line was DOA when it came to spring ball. I thought Jay Hill would show up, see what he had on that defensive line, and say, you know what, I don't want any of y'all and essentially tell them all like Deion Sanders apparently is doing. I think it said of the 83 scholarship players that Colorado had last year, 62 or 63 of them have now entered the transfer portal. Insane turnover and I'm not going to lie. I thought that might have been the situation BYU's defensive line was facing going into spring ball, but as it stands, I think the defensive line has found some building blocks. Is it perfect? Is it as deep as you'd like it to be? No, absolutely not. They have a lot of work still to do. They had a number of guys leave the program. Broke. Smiley, as we already mentioned, Mac Alloy-Seal already announcing a leaving. Zoom Esplin, a defensive end, has decided to leave the program. And there is still time to go in uh, the rest of this week for guys to enter the portal. Who knows who else might leave the program, uh, and we'll have to track all of that. Obviously, guys coming in as well. But uh, like I said, this defensive line, I was so down on them uh, coming into spring ball that they really had nowhere to go but up. So I I guess I'll just say my stock for them is up. Uh, It is because they were quite disruptive. Uh, all things considered. I I don't know how to describe it other than this new defense led by Sione Pujas, their defensive line coach, defensive tackles coach most notably, Kelly Papinha working with the edge guys. They have brought a new energy energy to this defensive front. and just seems to have unlocked a lot of guys and their preternatural abilities. And we'll see if it it translates to the actual gridiron this fall when BYU takes the field, but I'm very, very intrigued by what I saw from BYU's defensive line. All right, coming up here in just a minute, uh, the look of what you may have you've been expecting or what you've been watching for college football over the past two, three, four decades is going to change. And there's uh, one notable rule change that came over the weekend. I have not had a chance to discuss this stuff quite yet, so I wanted to take a minute and talk about it. How it might ultimately affect BYU in terms of their overall game plan. It's not going to be any different for any of their uh, conference mates or other college football programs at the same level as them. But we'll talk about those rule changes coming up here momentarily. First, a word on our friends over at Fanduel, Of course, Fanduel has been with us for a few months now. The best part is it's baseball season. Grand slams, no hitters, double plays, all that fun stuff are back and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than with our friends at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no sweat first bet of up to $1,000. You heard that right. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up now, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. The best part is you can bet on anything you're looking for. If you want to have Aaron judge you think he's going to hit a home run or Two home runs in any given game, you can bet on that. If you want a pitcher to go over a over under number of strikeouts in an individual game, if you think that your squad uh, if it has a chance to really make a run in the playoffs potentially as early as as it is in the season, you can bet on that. All of it is available to you guys to have some fun now. So get over there and don't miss out on your chance. Get your no sweat first bet up. First bet of up to $1,000 back now when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on to sign up now. Once again, that's FanDuel.com slash on to sign up now. FanDuel, an official sports, official partner of Major League Baseball and the lockdown Podcast Network.
0: It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one-selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30th
2: Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day, my friends. Hope you guys have had a chance, if you've not done so already, to check out the Locked On Mock NFL Draft. It's a special we do every single year. Follow all 32 teams' first pick in a six-episode ultimate mock draft experience. Only the Locked On Podcast Network can deliver. All the episodes are available now on the Locked On NFL Draft YouTube channel, or you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Search it out. It is really Really cool thing, and uh, if you want to get ready for the draft coming up on Thursday, you want to hear a little bit about Blake Freeland. Yours truly was had a bit part in this, but I would encourage you guys to give it a shot. It's a really, really cool product, and like I said, it's one of our favorite things we do every single year in the lead-up to the NFL draft. All right, uh, talking about the NFL, uh, college football is going to adopt a rule that the NFL has had in place for years, and that is that during college football season uh, this upcoming season, College football season? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. They are not going to stop the clock after first downs outside of the two minutes at the end of each half. Now, this is very much an NFL-driven thing. The NFL has gotten their games down to a science where they don't last typically longer than three and a half hours. And In fact, if they go over uh, three and a half hours, something might have gone wrong. It's probably overtime or something like that. College football has tried to jam so many TV windows into our Saturdays. They have tried to find ways to shorten up college football games, and that is, this rule change is one of those that is going to shave some time off of games. Uh, they think it's going to shave about seven plays in total. I know that doesn't sound like much, but it can uh, play a significant role in terms of the overall length of games. Now, I've had a few of you uh, who I've been just talking with offhand, uh, guys like Travis, etc. I know that you guys listen to this podcast. You and I have been going back and forth on this, and some of you are not a fan of this. You want to keep it the way it is, where the clock does stop momentarily after first down to get the chain set, then it whisk- then. And the uh, play uh, resumes and the clock starts running. It's an advantage given to college football where offenses can get set, get a play call, and then they can snap it as soon as those chains are set. This is going to change this. It's going to change the entire calculus of how teams really go about game planning in any, in any individual matchup because you no longer can have that extra one, two, three, four, five seconds to get your guys set and get a play call in. You have to be going as fast as you possibly can to keep up with this. If, if we're We're going to truly see the go fast, go hard mentality we've seen with other college football offenses. And BYU is not necessarily the fastest offense, but they do play with some tempo at times. They are going to have to adapt to this new thing. It is going to take some adjusting to get used to it because these college football players, in some cases, they've played four and five years of football at this point, and they have been used to having that extra moment to catch their breath when there's a first down. That's no longer going to be the case. So I, I get why there's some pushback on this, But I, for one, I don't see why there's a problem with this because I think this is going to give us an opportunity when BYU potentially is kicking off at 8 or 8.30 Mountain Time. Guess what? It's no longer going to be, hey, if you want to watch BYU, you can go over to ESPN News or ESPN Plus for the first half of the first quarter, maybe even the entire first quarter because the game just before it is running late. That's going to hopefully tighten up those windows where BYU will actually be on ESPN or ABC or Fox or whatever channel. They're going to be on when they're supposed to be on there. That that to me is why I am most in favor of this. Yes, do I agree? It fundamentally alters one of the kind of diff- key differentiators of college football and the NFL. Absolutely, it absolutely does. This has been one of the things that's. Yeah, I'm reading this article from CBS Sports. Is one of the rule changes that differentiate college football from the NFL since 1968. Like so, it's going to upend decades, and we're talking over half a century plus. of precedence and just how college football has operated they also have proved two other changes which I agree with I don't think these are necessarily going to cause a a lot of speed up in the game but you can no longer ice the kicker twice which I think was dumb to begin with so you can call one timeout to ice the kicker and then you can no longer call a consecutive timeout after that That that's just that's being done away with and then also uh, penalties that would extend the first and the third quarter by an untimed down you guys know what I'm talking about like when they have we have one untimed down before the quarter ends that will actually be the end of quarter and they will move that penalty. They'll enforce it at the start of the next quarter just with an idea of getting it to the end of the quarter and moving on. That's probably outside of the not stopping the ball uh, not, not uh, stopping the clock after first downs. That one's probably the most noteworthy in terms of shaving off some extra time but it's negligible in my mind of how much time that's going to shave off. But uh, Don't worry, it's not gone away forever because the NFL, similar to college football in the final two minutes of the first half and the end of the game, the second half they will still stop the clock after that first down. So in the critical moments when you most notably are watching strategy play out with two minute drill and guys getting set, they're still going to have that opportunity to catch their breath in those critical moments. This is just an idea that essentially in the in the periods of the game when you you could just you're like okay, let's move on with this. That's where it's going to speed this up a little bit and hopefully give us like I said a little tighter window and package football a little cleaner. Now some of you've also in conversations with you have complained. Nobody's complaining about having uh, less football, Jake. I, I get that. I No, we always want more football. But I think this is just more of an idea from the college football side of things is that in this younger generation, it, it, the metrics bear it out, that attention spans are declining, and you've got to be able to keep eyeballs on these games. And any way you can shorten it up a little bit, hopefully we'll retain some of those eyeballs on these football games. Now, you can say, well, the, they're not truly diehards. Yeah, they probably aren't. And in many cases, they may only tune in for the end of a first. First half or the end of that final five minutes of a game to catch the most exciting parts. But it's just an effort. It really is an effort. I think for college football to get more, I don't know, uh, just a tighter package overall. And I know that sounds just kind of hokey, and it's very much uh, some media speak from my side of things because that's the way I kind of approach this. But it, it, they're, it's all about the almighty dollar. It all goes back to the dollars. And the college football realm, they only exist to make money. And I know that sounds crass. I know it sounds we're supposed to be aspire to higher things in college football. Jake, I, I get all that. But let's be real. What rules at the end of the day? Money green talks my friends and that that's where this is all stemming from so if you want an explanation as to why this is happening well I think some television partners out there have decided they want uh, college football games to be in a little bit tighter window attract more eyeballs and in theory get more advertising dollars into their budgets as well even though uh, we're seeing media conglomerates literally nationwide uh, cutting big name uh, media personnel and obviously making all kinds of sweeping changes at the same time so who knows what ultimately pans out that's kind of my thought of where things stand with regards to what's going on uh, in the college football realm. All right, we're going to wrap up today's show as promised with a look back at the final game of the 2015 season. A crazy few weeks for BYU as they went into their bowl game in 2015. We're going to talk about all that craziness and my uh, unique perspective of that, having covered it and all that stuff. We'll get to all of that as we continue on right here on Locked on Cougars. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys making us a a part of it. Uh, Thank you for being an everydayer. I've talked about this over the past week or so. We want to encourage all of you. I know a number of you, uh, hundreds of you at this point, are are guys and gals who check out this podcast on a daily basis. You are our everydayers, as we're calling you right now, on the Locked On Podcast Network. And you guys are the backbone of what makes this venture and across the entire network, but this podcast in particular. You guys make this podcast go. So thank you for your support. And if you have any aspirations of becoming one of the most in-the-know BYU fans out there, I would highly encourage you to become an everydayer and join us every single day. That's just that's the goal here is for you guys to come back every single day, keep it in a nice, tidy package, under 30 minutes ideally. Sometimes it go, spills over that just a little bit, but we want to make sure you guys aren't being tied down for too long but also have relevant information that you can go out and talk with your family and friends about when you're talking about the Cougars. All right, a couple of notes before we talk about BYU football one more time. Want to give a big shout-out to Alicia Mae Mateo. She was named All-WCC First Team for the third straight year. The West Coast Conference announced that yesterday. Congratulations to one of the best uh, women's golfers in BYU golf history in recent memory. Uh, Mae Mateo has been a fantastic, fantastic athlete for BYU. Uh, She is uh, graduating this week with a Master of Accountancy degree from BYU's Marriott School of Business. Good on her uh, doing it both in the classroom as well as on the golf course. Congrats to her. And also a big shout-out to Austin Deming. He was named the West Coast Conference and Collegiate Baseball Newspaper Player of the Week. He is swinging an incredibly hot bat. In four non-conference games last week, he hit 7.06, 12 for 17, folks. That is just insane numbers. Four home runs, four doubles, scored 11 runs, and had 15 RBIs. He totaled 30 bases with an OBP of 7.37 and a slugging percentage of 1.647. Talk about just swinging the bats as well as you possibly probably could at any point. So congratulations uh, to Austin Demi. He actually joins Cole Gamble, who received both of the same honors last week by the WCC and Collegiate Baseball Newspaper as well. So BYU baseball inching ever closer to 500. They're eight and three as I saw Gregor Bell tweet yesterday in their last 11 games. So 17 and 21 overall. Getting ready for a big series at home against the Portland Pilots. The Pilots are in second place in the West Coast Conference. BYU kind of in the middle of the pack in the WCC a huge series uh, taking place at Miller Park this weekend and the good news is uh, forecast for the mid to upper 70s over the weekend so if you want to get out to Miller Park and enjoy a game I would encourage you to do so I am going to see if I can get my family down there to enjoy it as well All right, we've been going back through all 155 games in BYU football history and we've been tracking all the way through the uh, 2015 season and in 2015 well they beat Utah State in that regular season finale and it felt like okay this team's Rolling a little bit, they're nine and three. Uh, We'll see what happens with regards to their bull bull prospects. Well, they hadn't played Utah, and obviously that was a big deal. And the bull organizers out there, uh, much to certain Utah fans' chagrin, decided to machinate. I don't know how to say this. They, They they made some moves to get BYU and Utah to face off against one another in the 2015 Las Vegas Bowl. It was the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl, played Saturday, December 19th. I remember when it was announced, social media just went absolutely berserk on both sides. Uh, it was just It's one of those moments that will be forever etched in my mind, the hot takes that were flying back and forth between the Utes and the Cougars when it came to this game. But in the lead-up to that game... <laughs> Uh, I So I got married uh, early on in 20, uh, 2015. My wife and I got married in March. Uh, she was a collegiate softball player at the time, so we did not have a chance for a formal honeymoon. Uh, as We got married kind of on a bye week during her season. Don't ask me why she picked that date, but regardless, uh, our anniversary is March 27th as a result. But uh, as we uh, were starting out in married life, well, she decided, you know what, Other, uh, college football, co- not college, uh, college football season, as what I should say, was really, really crazy for her. She experienced it for the first time, being married to me, being with me on a daily basis, seeing how often I was gone, adjusting to my radio schedule, my media schedule, all that type of stuff. Well, she asked, uh, it was like in November at some point, she said, hey, uh, what would you think about going to uh, Orlando and going to Disney World to uh, make it, I guess, our formal uh, honeymoon? Uh, it wasn't really planned that way or anything. I was like, you know what, we probably could do that. She was talking about doing this in early December, like right after the season ended, essentially, Say, hey, can we do this? I said, yeah, let's make it happen happen so uh, we made the plans bought the plane tickets got the park tickets we also did Universal on that trip it was a great trip honestly uh, it, it, I'm not going to lie having our quote unquote anniversary six or seven months after we, that we got married actually more like nine months I guess technically after we got married was actually in retrospect a great decision but it, it, the reason I say that is to say this uh, I was walking out of Universal uh, Studios we had uh, gone to Harry Potter World enjoyed the butterbeer, all that type of stuff and we were walking now. We're walking to our car. Uh, We're about to leave for the day. And all of a sudden, I get an alert on my phone. An ESPN alert. Da, 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 da. You guys know the ESPN update alert. And my wife said, what's that? And I looked down and it says, Bronco Mendenhall has been hired as Virginia's head coach. And I did a double take looking at it. I'm like, that's, that, that can't be right. Bronco Mendenhall, really? He's leaving BYU? Well, there, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. And I was uh, thousands of miles away from home, not doing my radio job. But DJ and PK, who I worked with at the time, were holding the fort down. I just uh, kind of landed with them uh, doing their show. But uh, crazy. Crazy times. Bronco Mendenhall decided he wanted to, he did not want anything to do with uh, BYU, anything to do with BYU. He wanted, he wanted nothing to do with independence moving forward. He had been very vocal about this. Uh, some of you might recall those comments to the Austin American Statesman saying that he said the independence was not viable. It wasn't a long term uh, sustainable project for BYU. And he decided to go out and find a new landing spot for himself. And he did quite good at Virginia, I, I think overall, quite good, quite well. Uh, my syntax off on that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, he leaves for Virginia, and all of a sudden, BYU's future as a college football program is in all kinds of upheaval. Like, what is going on here? Who are the options that BYU could hire? Uh, I vividly remember uh, Ken Niamatololo uh, making that trip, uh, being met by the media horde in Salt Lake City at Salt Lake City International Airport after he came out for an interview at BYU. He actually talked about that when he uh, spoke to BYU most recently, uh, just this during spring ball at the high school coaches clinic and he talked about the fact with the media they say like, hey I came out here I was interested in the job but they hired the right guy speaking of Kalani Sitake uh, now the way I understand it is that the, the interview uh, with coach Ken uh, Niamatololo came at the behest of some certain church leaders in Salt Lake City I have it on fairly good authority the, that that uh, Tom Homo had essentially gone to the board of directors and said hey Kalani Sitake is our guy and they said hey have you talked to this Ken Niamatololo character and he had uh, obviously starred in that meet the more movie that had come out uh, just a, what, a, felt like a few months before. It might have been a year before, but nonetheless the, he came out, made the interview. Uh, BYU uh, vetted all their guys but Tom Homo, it felt like from the outset, was like, you know what, Kalani Sitake is our guy. Kalani had been the defensive coordinator at Utah, had gone with Gary Anderson to Oregon State to be the defensive coordinator for one season, and then he gets announced literally the day of the game at the Las Vegas Bowl. BYU introduces Kalani Sitake, our new head coach at the uh, Purple Las Vegas Bowl. It overshadowed the entirety of the game it felt like uh, leading up to it. But then the game took over its own life. Because as many of you know oh my gosh what a game. Uh, Utah raced out to a 35 to nothing lead in the first uh, quarter alone uh, and Turnovers, everything that could go wrong did go wrong for BYU in this game. Uh, Tanner Mangum throwing multiple pick sixes. Uh, he ended up with 315 yards, two touchdowns against three interceptions, uh, 25 of 56 passing. But that 35 to nothing lead would stand up as BYU. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall coaching with his staff, and it wasn't a full staff, but a bunch of them knew they were had their foot out the door. All of them were going outside of Guy Holiday, who would ultimately uh, switch to coaching at Utah. In the aftermath of all of this, uh, they had their foot out the door, and BYU played like it in the first quarter. Now BYU did wake up; they rallied, scored twenty-eight unanswered points. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, though, uh, I felt like short-circuited this with a punt uh, late in this game. Uh, you know, it wasn't even late; it wasn't even that late. It was, it was pretty late in the game, but regardless, uh, BYU. There's a big. There's always that talk of had that game gone for four or five more minutes, BYU might have won that one, and they very well may have. But you can't shoot yourself in the foot and put yourself in a 35 to nothing hole and have any chance of winning this game. But uh, yes, rough loss to Utah. Obviously, you never want to lose to the Utes. BYU felt like that was a missed opportunity. Utah finished the season ranked. Uh, they were 10 and three. They were 22nd in the country coming into this game. BYU sunk to nine and four after the game. But uh, after just, it was a wild wild three or four weeks because BYU finished the regular season November 28th. Uh, as I understand it, Bronco Mendenhall uh, flew out to Virginia in the days after that to interview with the uh, Cavaliers. He gets the job and then BYU goes through a very quick process of vetting, interviewing, going through all the process of hiring their coach and then they announced it on December 19th at the bowl game and introduced Kalani Satake as the new head coach and a new era of BYU football began right then. So, Crazy, crazy times. And like I said, I was in Universal Studios. I've still. I probably could walk you to the very spot in that parking garage where I stood when I got that alert and looked at it, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" And my wife was like, "What are you talking?" I'm like, "Bronco Menalge left BYU," and she was like, "I said she was a collegiate softball player." She's like, "What? Bronco left? Yeah, he left." She's crazy. Crazy times. But uh, it was a wild few weeks, and obviously we know that the rest is history, and we'll talk about the start of the Kalani Sitake era as we kick off the 2016 season and our look back at all 155 of these independent football games for BYU on tomorrow's podcast. Also looking forward tomorrow to another position group look back. I will flip back over to the offense. I want to talk a little bit about BYU's wide receiving core. Obviously, uh, a lot of questions out there. BYU uh, uh, threw out an offer according to Montana. Uh, 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 Montana. Oh, what's his name? I can't even remember all of a sudden. It's one of those crazy names. So Montana, Montana Lamonius Craig, the stud wide receiver who had a great spring game for Colorado on Saturday. Entered his name in the transfer portal on Sunday. And BYU on Monday offered him a scholarship along with fe- seemingly half of the country out there, especially in the Power 5 ranks. Uh, BYU's doing their due diligence in the transfer portal. They need to bolster that wide receiver position. But we'll talk about the wide receivers tomorrow. What I think I learned about them coming out of Spring ball versus what we hope to see uh, for them coming up in the transfer portal uh, saga for BYU this spring, as well as an exclusive conversation with uh, Chase Roberts. Obviously, a guy who is expected to take on a bigger role for BYU at wide receiver this year. Had a great chat with him. We'll get to that on tomorrow's podcast. So, once again, make sure you're in every day or make sure you make us your first listen to the day and come back every single day for all the BYU news that you can handle on an everyday basis. So, until then, have a great, great rest of your day, my friends. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya.
0: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.